Thank you, Calvin. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you here. You can imagine you're holding a coffee, Adrian, while you're listening to the message, if you like. Maybe one day that will become a reality if you get enough people on the, uh, the coffee rotor. It's uh, really good to be together and to be thinking about the next instalment in our series in Nehemiah. This is the third Sunday in our series that we've called Rebuilding, looking at this story together, an Old Testament story looking at the Jewish leader, Nehemiah, who supervised the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And we've said over the last couple of weeks that working through this book together feels timely for us. We're in a season where rebuilding is needed as we navigate life post-COVID. And that there's so much from this book to help us. So if you've been tuning in or listening, you'll know that so far in chapters 1 and 2, we've seen that Nehemiah has heard the news of the broken walls of Jerusalem. And what he does is he, he cries in mourning and he prays. And he waits. And then he establishes the extent of the damage. He goes to survey the scene and to see what work is necessary to rebuild the wall. And he then presents his proposal to the Jews that are living in Jerusalem. And they respond positively to him. At the end of last week, the end of chapter 2, they agree together, let us start rebuilding. But it's one thing having a vision and a plan, and it's something else entirely to execute that plan. And we get to chapter three, where the rebuilding begins. And we've called today's message all in it together, because as we look at chapter three, that's exactly what we find. So I just want to encourage you to grab a Bible. You'll see when you look at Nehemiah chapter three, why we're not reading the entire chapter. Um, It's page 485 in your Bibles. Have a look, uh, either on your phone or in a Bible in your chair there. Because what we'll do is um, pick out some bits and go through and I'll explain along the way. Um, Have a glance through it. You'll see that it's a a crazy chapter, actually, if you look through. If you look through now, you'll be grateful I didn't ask you to read it, any of you, as part of our worship tonight. It would have taken 15 minutes and it's full of very long and complicated names. Page 485. And if we just look at the first two verses to kind of set the scene while you're finding that together. Nehemiah 3, 1 and 2. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. And do you see what I mean as you glance through that chapter in your Bibles? This is really the pattern for the whole chapter. The whole chapter continues in that, in that vein. A list of gates and then lists of names of who built those gates. And the gates are done one at a time. If you look, there's the sheep gate, verse 1, the fish gate, verse 3, the Deshanna gate, verse 6, the valley gate, verse 13, and so on. And as those gates are built, we read a list of the names of the people involved in building and something about them. So that's pretty much the chapter. It's gates and its names. And you might look at a chapter like that and think, goodness me, what on earth, what on earth can you get out of that? But actually, there's a, a wonderful thing going on here in our chapter to start us off this evening, something that's quite common in our Bibles. There are lots of chapters throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament which contain lists, long lists sometimes of names or long lists of genealogies. And as a starter, before we get to the kind of heart of what I want to share with you today, there's something to encourage us here. And that is that our God 
remembers names. Our God is in the name remembering business. He knows your name and he knows my name. We're going to think about a, a big picture story about the, the, the rebuilding of a whole city, which in turn is the sweeping story of the whole of the Jewish people, which in turn is the sweeping story of the, the whole of salvation plan, which includes us. It's a big story, history, his story, but it's made up of individual people. And God is reminding us that they all have names. Before we get stuck into thinking about what rebuilding looks like, what our part to play in that is, we love and serve a God who knows our name. It's relationship first. It always is. So all in it together. It's a story about all hands on deck to get the walls rebuilt. What can we learn about what all in it together looks like? The first thing I want to say from this chapter is that all means all. As we read through the story with all the gates and all the names, it's clear that the, all the people were involved in the project. The whole city pretty much gave itself over for 52 days to the rebuilding of the walls and the gates. The priests began the work, as we mentioned, but a whole variety of other people were involved. Have a look in verse 8, for example. Aziel, son of Harheiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. So we see there a goldsmith and a perfume maker were involved. Have a look at verse 12. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Tells us that a city ruler got stuck in. And the, the women were included and involved as well. Everyone was involved. And they were volunteers, of course. No one was paid or conscripted to do this work. They all joined forces. There was a kind of shared desire to get this rebuilding done. This is a great story from last week, isn't it? Emma Raducanu, who won the US Open Tennis Championship. She was a qualifier and had an incredible journey through the tournament and ended up winning the tournament. Who stayed up and watched the, the whole of the match to the end? Yeah, lots of people, even people who aren't really into tennis, watched the tennis, didn't they? Um, and she was just incredibly composed, wasn't she? 18 on this kind of massive stage, so, so composed. And if you heard her post-match interview, she said this as part of it. Having such a supportive team like I have, my coach, my agent, the physio, the LTA, my family, thank you for your support. I wouldn't be here without you. Emma Raducanu is the one who takes home the, you know, the shiny trophy. She gets the credit. She gets all the glory, I suppose. But she points out what we know is true, that these things take a team effort, that she could not be where she is. She wouldn't be where she is without the team around her. Nehemiah is the name that we know. He coordinates the efforts. But the only way that the walls of Jerusalem will get rebuilt is with everyone on board. And the same is true for us here as a church family as we seek to be good news to our community and beyond. If we are to rebuild post-COVID, if we're to rebuild relationships, if we're to truly reflect the love and the goodness of Jesus to those around us, it needs us all. It needs us all. That doesn't mean, of course, that we serve out of any sort of duty or obligation. Andy made that clear earlier. That's never our heart. We want round pegs in round holes. We want people to serve because they're glad to do so. But when we hear about gaps, we can do what Nehemiah did. We can pray, survey the scene, 
ask what our burden should be, where we fit and get stuck in somewhere, here at CBC, in your neighbourhood, some wider area of service for the building of God's kingdom. It's just an important reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs everybody. It needs everybody. If this world is going to be one with the good news of Jesus, it's got to be all in, all in together. We are family, family on mission as we seek to share Jesus around us. All means all. The second thing to say is that there's something really important going on in our crazy chapter of names and gates to do with consecration and dedication and that there's a reminder to us to dedicate whatever we do to the Lord first. The high priest, Eliashib, he dedicates that first gate. We read it in, in, in verse 1, um, the sheep gate. He, before anything else, it says they dedicated it and set its doors in place. And I love this image that there's some building going to happen. And they kind of put the first doors of the first gate. And the first thing they do is to say, this might be hard graft. It might be just bricks and mortar and bits of wood. But we're going to dedicate this. We're going to consecrate this to God. The hard graft was spiritual business. And there's a recognition that the rebuilding was for, for God's glory, for a purpose. That's why the priest had mentioned first, to set the scene that this is spiritual business. What's going on here throughout this chapter, whatever your role, it's spiritual business. This picture is, um, is, is a man called John Knott from Middlesbrough. He's a massive football fan. And uh, he supported Middlesbrough Football Club for his entire life. And uh, John was working for a company involved in building the new Wembley Stadium when it was built back in 2004. He was responsible with a group of others for building that iconic arch over Wembley Stadium, that enormous structure. And he's recently owned up to a secret that was only known to him and to one other friend. He was involved in welding the centre square box at the centre of the arch. He and this friend were with the welders welding that together. And uh, before they welded that centre box shut, um, he stuffed two Middlesbrough football shirts in, in the gap and uh, then welded it. Him and his mate welded it shut together. He and his friend had decided that it would be a long time before Borough got to play at Wembley or certainly win any trophies. And he wanted their colours to be the first ones at the new Wembley Stadium. He's, he was quoted as saying, he's proud that a bit of borough is now forever contained at Wembley. Does this resonate with you, Calvin? Would you love West Brom's shirts to be shoved in there? I think West Brom have got a chance. They have got a chance, whereas, whereas unlike Middlesbrough. <laughs> We're too far south for that to bother anybody here, aren't we? John was involved in this building project but, but for this man, it was more than just a building. Some of his hopes and dreams were invested there. When the people rebuilt the walls, when we are involved in serving God's kingdom through the local church, it is more than just bricks and mortar. It's more than sitting as a befriender with a cap client. It's more than serving coffee on our hospitality team or helping with our welcome desk or being involved in our care home ministry or whatever it is. There are hopes and dreams and visions that we have as a church to see the good news of Jesus spread out to those around us. And when we are building with what looks like just bricks and mortar, what we're doing is investing some of our hopes and dreams and visions into what we do. 
Paul says to the Colossian Christians, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever you do, however you're serving, here at CBC, out in the community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, um, in your local gym, being good news in any way, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, dedicating it to him, consecrating it to him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, it is not just about this building or a rotor or a need. It's about hopes and visions and dreams that we have for Jesus, for his kingdom to come through us and in us here. Let's hold God's hopes and visions in our hearts and dedicate all that we do to him for that end. We're in it together and whatever we do, we dedicate it to the Lord. And just a final thought, a third thought, as we think about what we see in this chapter. And it's something that strikes me as quite important for us here as we look at Nehemiah. And it's the strategy of doing the next thing, the thing that's next. Doing the next thing next to people in the next place. There's power in thinking through what the thing is that's near us, I think, here. All through this account in chapter 3 is the phrase next to him. Next to him works so-and-so. Next to him work some others and so on. They helped each other. They got work done because everyone did their bit in turn, rubbing up against each other. And then add to that, notice how many people worked near their home. Um, verse 10, just some examples. Jedediah made repairs opposite his house. Verse 23, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. Azariah besides his house. Verse 30, Mishalem made repairs opposite his living quarters. They worked next to each other and they did the thing in front of them. God's design for ministry is that he's placed us where he wants us to be for a reason. And he asks us to do the thing near to us, to do the thing in front of us. Wherever your frontline place is, Monday to Saturday, your workplace or your home or your neighbourhood, that's the place that's near you. And your local church, if CBC is your, your commitment here, if it is your spiritual home, this is the place near you from which to serve and to receive, to, from which to, to be encouraged and strengthened for whatever God has called you to do. God has got things in front of us to do. We as a staff team are looking forward to the new season ahead of us. What is God saying to us for this next bit of the journey? What's, what's the thing in front of us? What's near us? It would be so easy to jump ahead at this stage and start to think about, goodness me, there's this new season. COVID is settling, sort of. Things are kind of getting back to normal. What new visions, new dreams? What, what are the new projects to start for us? What should we do? And I'm asking myself the lessons from this chapter. What's the thing in front of us? God, what is the next thing? What is saying to us about what's the next bit of the brick wall? I think the next thing in front of us as a church community is to give ourselves some time for restoration and renewal and rebuilding. Rebuilding relationships and connections that over the last 18 months during COVID has been so difficult to foster, to establish meeting together again, getting into the pattern of being together as family and serving our community in our various ministries. There are time for projects. I'm excited about what's ahead. But the thing in front of us right now, it feels like it's a time for reconnection and restoration, 
to prayerfully survey the scene as Nehemiah did, ask God, what needs rebuilding? What are the next bricks? Who are we next to? What's the thing next to us? What's near our home to rebuild together? Here in the city of Chichester, the local church leaders get together every month for lunch and for prayer. And the name of the group is the Nehemiah Partnership. It's been called that for as long as I can remember. And I've been here for 10 years. And the idea behind it is that it helps us as church leaders to remember that we want to work together for the rebuilding of the city. God's kingdom together, spiritually rebuilding the city walls And there's a lot of good heart and unity between us as church leaders, which I'm so glad about. Very different church traditions and ways of working, but a huge amount of mutual respect and a shared heart. And what was so good recently was to spend some time praying with our local leaders about the rebuilding of the walls here in Chichester and the common theme coming through, that whatever our church is like, we all need restoration and the rebuilding of firm foundations. We can set the gate in place, dedicating it to God, and rebuild brick by brick by brick, dedicating what's in front of us, the thing that's near us to him. We're just one little church in a corner of the city doing our bit to rebuild the walls. And as we look ahead to whatever the future will bring, as we try to, to rebuild together after this unsettled season that we've had, we can play our part, all in it together, dedicating all that we do to the Lord and asking him what is in front of us. I'd love you to be praying that with me. What does it look like to be together in consecration and seeking Jesus about what the next thing is as we rebuild together? So I'm going to suggest um, if Calvin and the team want to come back, we spend a bit of time doing exactly that. Um, Give a bit of time over to worship and to prayer together. Calvin will lead us. It might be that God says some specific things to us as a church. We're always really keen to hear what the Lord is saying. If you sense him saying something, you can share it or pray it out. Let's be open to what he's saying to us as individuals, what he might want to say to us as a church. And give over the rest of our time to worshipping and listening and seeking him in prayer.